Welcome to the Boiler Podcast, brought to you by Selenis, providing tools to build your expertise and customer value. In this podcast, Kai Rondam will present the details around polyamine and uses within different applications. The, the topic is uh, film-forming products for streamline corrosion control and optimizing utility operations with this technology. Film-forming products is, uh, are most commonly known as smelling amines you may be uh, familiar with. They've been used successfully for many decades as streamline corrosion control inhibitors. They do represent an effective and economical approach to controlling condensate system corrosion. They form an inherent non-wettable organic film on the metal surfaces which prevents contact between the metal surface and any kind of corrosive condensate that has to do with like low pH from carbonic acid or, or oxygen-induced fitting. Uh, although sometimes applicable on their own, uh, filaments are generally applied with blends with other condensate treatments such as neutralizing means or oxygen scavengers or metal passivators. Um, there's a certain synergism that exists between these different uh, chemicals and thereby the blends uh, realize that um, synergistic opportunity. The most commonly used filming amine had been uh, oxidecolamine. Some people know that as ODA. Um, but its application had really been just a mess. It was plagued with handling and feeding issues, as well as problems associated with overfeed. Uh, and it's really fallen out of favor recently. Uh, we began blending many, many years ago with ethoxylated soya-based filming amines, which had more widespread attention due to a bit of bonding strength and film durability. They've actually got three nitrogen coordination sites. Um, that establish a much stronger, more tenacious film, as well as better formulatory and feeding characteristics. So now another newer, I, I say newer, um, version of film-forming compounds is polyamines, which have, uh, well, have been used for like over 20 years in Europe. Uh, they've recently gained popularity uh, in the U.S. in the power generation sector and have been recognized by organizations such as EPRI and IAPS. Those of you who are not familiar with those, EPRI is Electric Power Research Institute and IAPS is the International Association for the Properties of Water and Steam. In general, these products should um, only fit into systems with uh, less than 80% condensate return. Generally, if you've got high makeup alkalinity where neutralizing amine programs are cost prohibitive, um, those would be good candidates. And it should always be fed through an ejection quillant and steam header. Um, these systems uh, tend, as I said, um, to be cost prohibitive for neutralizing amine programs. Uh, the exception to this is polyamines, which can be used or can be actually fed into the feed water line in high-quality makeup systems, um, such as those with Demon or uh, RO and those with higher condensate returns, such as power plants. In these plants, some, uh, typical condensate returns can exceed 95%. Refineries and petrochemical plants, where there's a potential for uh, organic contamination in the condensate, are generally not good candidates, and I'll talk about some other um, selection criteria which are also not good candidates. The organic contamination can tend to strip the, the film, and, um, and you can end up with um, just corrosion issues in general. You can change the slide, please. Next slide, please. Thank you. Okay, as I mentioned, they, um, they've been used to treat high-purity feed water since back in the 1940s. Um, and, and filming amines have been used since the 1960s in the U.S. and other areas around the world. Um, the film-forming approach became prevalent about 50 to 20 years ago in Eastern Europe because they had poor boiler pretreatment and deaerator control. 
And I mentioned IAPS, um, the working group um, published some technical guidance or documents, and you can go online and download this stuff for free. Although the IAPS guidelines are very, very general, um, and there's, there's a, a wide variety of dosage um, ranges that have been published by the various competitors that are out there. Um, but there is an increasing interest in the use of film pouring amines, uh, or film pouring products, I should say, to mitigate corrosion in, in steam cycle, in um, steam generators and uh, coal-fired plants and combined cycle power plants. Um, but there's still confusion around continuous feed and shutdown and layup, and how long can you, you know, stop the feed and still have um, protection of the metal surfaces. Um, APRI has formed a workshop, and they're dedicating resources to continue studying that, um, as well as co-feeding us with dispersants. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the competitive approaches that are out there. Um, uh, another a really good opportunity in the combined cycle power um, plant market are systems that have air-cooled condensers. In the past, we would pretty much drive past those because there's no cooling water opportunity and they may not represent uh, much of a revenue stream. But a standard, let's say, 500, 550 megawatt, two-by-one combined cycle power plant can generate anywhere from 75 to, say, $90,000 in revenue from a, just a single uh, application of conforming amines. What, as far as what I mentioned about layup protection, um, that's, there still needs to be more data collected from the field as far as, you know, after you stop the feed and the units are shut down, how long will the, um, will the metal uh, surfaces stay protected? So there needs to be more work done on that. Um, as shown in the, um, I'm sorry, you went to the next slide, thank you. <laughs> um, the most effective filming amines are the aliphatic group of organic compounds, also known as fatty amines. Um, the simplest, as I mentioned, is ODA, octadecalamine. Modern treatment programs uh, using film-forming amines with two or more amino functional groups, such as diamines, um, are, are particularly successful because the film-forming amines have a very, very strong affinity to the metal surfaces due to a free electron pair um, of the amine nitrogen. Um, and there's also another mechanism that's where the positively charged hydrophilic tail of the amine tends um, to charge the metal uh, attached to the uh, negatively charged metal surface. Um, there's also the water repellent group, it's called the hydrophobic group. So what happens um, is that the, the hydrophilic end uh, attaches to the metal surface and then the hydrophobic end, hydro means water, phobic means fear, that kind of repels um, the, uh, the water or the condensate, the corrosive condensate, and creates what's called a non-wettable surface. The hydrophilic bond or groups bond to the surface leaving the water pellet group kind of angled outwards. Next slide, please. Thank you. Um, the inhibitor effect is accomplished by the formation of a monomolecular film on the protective oxide layer, creating, as I mentioned before, a non-wettable surface that prevents the contact from the corrosive substances in that uh, condensate, such as oxygen, carbon dioxide, carbonic acid. Um, the strong absorption um, is a result of physical and chemical bonding, and the multi-layer formation of this um, monomolecular filament is slower and occurs over time. So what's going to happen is the rate of filming is going to depend on the type of molecule that you're using, the temperature, 
the, the surface morphology and things like that. Once formed, the protective film does remain intact uh, even after the dosages that have stopped. And they say that there's, we've seen no immediate harm if the feed is interrupted. In fact, we had a trial last fall where we found out that one of the chemical feed pumps um, wasn't working, and we weren't sure how long that was off. It could have been off for as much as a couple of weeks. And we still had some very, very impressive results from that trial, which I'll share with you later. Next slide, please. Okay, so as far as pretty much every competitor that's out there uh, has a some type of polyamine product, uh, and they may they may differ somewhat uh, as far as the um, the molecule that's used. And there's different blends that are out there. For instance, um, like the Suez products, the the PAS six zero seven four, they they blend those with neutralizing amines. Uh, and we ran into or they ran into problems where they had to actually overfeed the product to get the pH in the system up. To, to meet with the uh, EPRI guidelines, and in doing so, they overfed the product, and it just became a real mess. It plugged up um, probes and analyzers and things like that. Um, Corita uh, and the cinnamon product that they use, where it says there's a thousand applications, well, that's because they blend it with dispersants and other internal boiler water treatment products so that they can claim uh, polyamine applications across a, across a wide um, market sector. Um, on the anodamine, uh, that was the original uh, polyamine that came out in Europe many, 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 like probably 20 years ago. Uh, and it just really never gained success in the U.S., like I said, until recently. Chemtreat, as it's shown there, is actually a distributor for Corita in the U.S. And Nalco has a number of products. Um, that they use. The, pop, the power film product actually was used at a trial um, at the Jim Bridger, the Pacific Core Jim Bridger station up in Utah. And they, even though they had low uh, iron levels of 3 to 4 ppb in the feed water, they were able to drop it to 1 to 2. So the, the, the materials do work. Um, there's also some claims, as I'll show on some later uh, slides, that they can improve heat transfer efficiency. Okay, we can go to the next slide. All right, so this, I'm not going to try to pronounce the uh, actual chemical name of the film forming polyamine that we use. Uh, the dosage there listed as uh, 150 to 200 ppb in the feed water. That's the, that's the minimum starting dosage. Um, we recommend anywhere from 200 to 500 ppb as active polyamine. Now, where it says alkalamine optional, that's really for our European uh, counterparts. They've blended a couple of products that do include neutralizing amines, but we ran into a lot of formulatory issues, which um, just made it really, really difficult to blend in neutralizing amines into the formulation at the proper ratios. And we didn't want to get into a situation where there was an overfeed. So most the products that we have here in the U.S. are straight polyamine, but they do have a coupling agent. The reason there's a coupling agent in there, as you can imagine, a filfulmine compound that creates kind of a waxy, fatty uh, surface is, in general, just not very water-soluble. So it needs a coupling agent in order to get it into a homogeneous solution in a, in a final uh, commercially available formulation. Um, 
And so that said, these are used as adjuncts into systems where they're currently feeding and neutralizing amines. In industrial applications, you can, you can carry a much lower pH, uh, as low as in the um, 6.5 to 7.5 range, and still have very, very effective uh, film form and corrosion inhibition. In the utility sector, we still suggest that they carry the pH in accordance with uh, either their consulting guidelines or their corporate water chemists or uh, organizations such as EFRI or IAPS. All right, we can go to the next slide. As we've seen in the past, um, when you introduce any kind of fill-forming compound to a system, uh, whatever existing metal oxide is on the, uh, the metal surface will gradually be removed and replaced with a, a more durable film. And that's one of the reasons why we always suggest that we start out at the initial very, very low dosage of 150 to 200 parts per billion active. And then after a certain period of time, through millipore testing and things like that, when we see that the, the, the crud bursts or that sort of thing have, um, have diminished, then we can start to increase the dosage up to perhaps, say, 500 ppb. Um, even though studies have shown that the polyamines can loosen deposits, it's not a dispersant or a deposit control technology. Our competitors claim that it can actually remove scale and things like that. We're, we take a much more conservative approach, and, and we just don't feel that that's a, that's a, a marketable position that, that, that we want to take there. Like I said, we do want to keep the concentrations fairly low because high, high dosages relate to what's called micelle formation at critical concentrations. Uh, that's going to lead to clumps or gel-like gunk balls, which can blind instruments, foul probes, or sensors, and even plug traps. We could go to the next slide, please. All right, so this was some research that was done. Um, this was actually done by one of our competitors with their polyamine, but it's basically the same uh, or functionally the same technology. So the surface morphology of the tubes that were treated with polyamine show a much smoother and more homogeneous surface than the tubes that um, had conventional, let's say, sodium phosphate-based treatment. That's on the left. The surface activity of the mean was demonstrated to cause more intense nucleate boiling, which is the image on the lower right. And this would imply that there's improved heat transfer with the, uh, with the polyamine, but it's really difficult to quantify in full-scale utility applications. Um, it also showed that uh, critical plant components, especially like the steam turbine, uh, performance was improved with film forming compounds. This was done at 15 bar, which is about 220 PSI. We can go to the next slide now, please. All right, so the, the low micro roughness of the polyamine-treated metal surfaces provides, again, like I said before, for a homogeneous surface and improved heat transfer. The laboratory studies uh, with the fire tube boiler showed improved degree of efficiency of 0.5% and 0.3%, what they call relative gain, in the two different studies that were done there. So that's just a laboratory or um, kind of a pilot study of some uh, energy improvement. One of, the, one of the things, I'll mention this on the next slide, so we can go to the next slide, please. So our, our laboratory, uh, the graph up on the top right, did some electrochemical tests. These are um, uh, 
electrochemical tests with um, with a tr with a like a uh, what they call a reference uh, corrosion coupon. Uh, they're potentiodynamic um, corro uh, corrosion resistance studies, um, and these electrochemical tests were performed on polyamine treated coupons. Show a non-wettable surface. Well, actually, um, the, the, 90, the 39 degree angle was the untreated coupon, and then when they treated the coupon, the what they called the um, it's the it's the contact angle. It increased to 96 degrees. So that shows what's called that, that creates what's called the non-wettable surface, and also results in what's what's known as dropwise condensation. This is real important where in systems such as Yankee dryers, uh, filming amines in the past have been shown to create dropwise condensation, and also even more importantly, are in surface condensers uh, in a large power plant. If you can improve the um, the the, uh, the ability of the, the vacuum to be improved in a condenser, you can really, really improve the efficiency of that power plant. So um, one of the things we want to do is, as often as we can when we get in to inspect the hot well is bring in a little squirt bottle and squirt on the surface of the tubes um, to see if we can actually visually see what's known as hydrophobicity or that um, beating of the water droplets on the surface. Okay? Next slide, please. Um, so the goal of the polyamine uh, program are obviously to reduce corrosion and continue op operation and then try to minimize corrosion transport or what we call crud bursts, which you'll see upon startup or after shutdown or in cycling unit operations, whether it's in an industrial you know, paper mill or something like that or in um, power plants either. Uh, coal-fired or base-loaded units, or more importantly, in units that, um, that cycle, uh, you're going to get a very, very clean, smooth heat transfer surface uh, that's going to show hydrophobicity, and as I said, mentioned before, improved heat transfer. And we do uh, anticipate corrosion protection during shutdown layup. We just are not sure exactly how long. We generally don't like to say anything longer than about two weeks in a um, in a layup shutdown mode before you need to look at some other type of extended layup methodology. Next slide, please. So, um, well, if, so why are our customers interested in this? We get, we get uh, probably a couple of calls a week uh, from various customers saying, hey, do you have any of this anodamine stuff or do you have any polyamine? Well, we, and we've had reps call us and say, do we carry anodamine? Well, anodamine is the trade name of, uh, of the people that began using it about 20 years ago. So we do have a polyamine. We have a couple of products, and we've been using them successfully in a couple of applications. Um, so we, we say that there's system-wide protection, uh, and they're more uh, resistant to low changes, swings, starts and stops, up conditions. As I mentioned before, uh, as opposed to straight neutralizing means fill forming compounds, because they form a non-wettable surface, they're going to be um, advantageous in protecting against not only carbonic acid and low pH corrosion, but also oxygen-induced oxygen, oxygen -induced attack. This is especially true in the case of um, two-phase corrosion, in, um, or FAC, in HRSGs and air-cooled condensers. So that's one of the, uh, the selling points that we use is that um, it's, there's been evidence that it can help to mitigate FAC. 
Um, as I mentioned before, it creates a clean, smooth heat transfer surfaces and improved heat transfer efficiency. And again, as we've said, you know, there is persistent offline protection. We just don't need to collect more dur uh, data on the durability of the film. And the durability of that film is going to vary based upon system conditions. The practical experience shows under what conditions the film continues to protect equipment, as I mentioned before, for about two weeks after shutdown. Uh, even though pre-film coupons in the laboratory show no corrosion, even after one year of storage, but we certainly want to, wouldn't want to recommend that. And again, they're, they're applicable in a wide range of um, pressures and, and water uh, and different types of makeup water conditions. All right, next slide, please. All right, so the, uh, the, it's a volatile fill-forming uh, compound, and it can protect evaporator surfaces, condensate systems, steam turbines with, with high steam moisture, um, but the film formation will not necessarily occur in areas of superheated steam. Uh, it should be fed continuously to prevent condensate corrosion, and it should be injected. Generally, film forming amines are fed into the steam header, but in the case of uh, polyamines, they can be fed into the, the, uh, the feed water line. This is a particularly um, applicable in combined cycle power plants. Many of the combined cycle power plants that were built, let's say, 10 years ago, were commissioned with an oxygen scavenger feed system. And in the all-ferrous metal component systems, it's been shown that ultra-low levels of oxygen actually exacerbate FAC. So they have discontinued the use of oxygen scavengers in those systems. So they still got to, if they haven't dismantled it, all they have is a decommissioned system that just needs to be flushed and then, and then recommissioned as far as a chemical feed system. That oxygen scavenger chemical feed skid was connected to the condensate pump discharge, which is a perfectly um, good spot for injection of the polyamine. And that's what we've done in a number of these uh, sites where we started trials with the polyamine. And they can be recommissioned easily. And again, they're ideal for polyamine feed. Okay, next slide, please. So there is a colorimetric field test. It's known as the Bengal Rose test. Um, and that's available through, uh, uh, through HOP or through um, uh, our, our normal uh, test kit supply companies. And it can, can detect as low as 200 ppb. That's why I, I like to try to get the dosage level up after initial low dosages up into the two to 500 range. Um, and you're not going to get interferences from any other uh, ions that to be in the system. Uh, this is a field test, uh, but monitoring should also include millipore filters, total iron tests in the laboratory, and ideally you should use um, what we've used in our studies is what's called uh, a Century Corrosion Product Composite Sampler. Century is the company that uh, many of you may be familiar with that, that builds and installs the sample panels in power plants, they have a unit that has, it's got a, a monitor, uh, a meter on it, so it'll meter the amount of flow that goes through a flanged assembly that holds a millipore filter, and over about a week's time, it'll collect corrosion products on that millipore filter along with the totalizer in liters. So you send the, uh, the pad into the laboratory, they uh, digest it, they give you a reading in, in milligrams, 
and then you take the total amount of liters, and then so you get milligrams per liter, which is basically the same as PPM levels. And we, we, we're using that now in a study that we're doing, and we were just about completed collecting baseline data without polyamine feed. We did have a polyamine feed at this site about six months ago. They had to discontinue feed for economical reasons, but um, are restarting again after their outage in about three weeks. And we've collected, um, we've just about finished collecting baseline data without the polyamine feed. And you, you would be surprised at the difference in the appearance of the millipore filters. The ones where they were feeding polyamine in the past were almost completely white. I mean, it, it, you had to actually digest them in the laboratory to get any usable data off of them. And that was even after the polyamine feed had been interrupted due to a, a, a chemical feed pump issue. Looking at the, the, the filters now without any polyamine and the plants been cycling a little bit, they don't look nearly as good. So this will be a, a pretty good case history um, for us. Okay, uh, we can switch to the next slide, please. So in general, we're going to look at uh, any power plant uh, as, a, as, a, as a candidate, but especially those that have cycling operations that have been known to have crud bursts upon startups, sites that we know have elevated feed water iron levels, a history of FAC, and in particular plants with air-cooled condensers, um, pulp and paper mill dryer satellite feed systems, or tissue mills with Yankee dryers. Um, in general, you don't want to feed polyamines or any film-forming compound into systems with just extremely elaborate uh, condensate systems. I was talking with a guy the other day. He's got a, a combined cycle power plant that provides steam to an uh, expansive university, and the corporate chemist was asking if we could use, you know, a polyamine or film-forming amine in that application, and it's just not a good it's just not a good application. You'd have to have satellite feeds all over the place, and it would just it just become a nightmare to, to manage that. Uh, for for film forming compounds in general, and we have a we have a couple of other products in our line that are in many cases better suited for industrial applications. We have blends that include neutralizing amines, ethoxylated soy amines, as well as mecor uh, and oxygen scavengers, and those are particularly good in, in plants that have. Um, uh, low condensate return, high makeup alkalinity, and those systems are going to be very, very high in CO2 loading in their condensate systems. And if you were to use neutralizing amines, which are fed stoichiometrically, it could just become uh, cost prohibitive. Polyamines and as well as, uh, you know, blended uh, other film-forming amines uh, are fed on a base-fed basis. So um, they're not affected by the amount of uh, carbonic acid that's in the system. Um, uh, if, you've been, if they've been using other film-forming compounds like octadecalamine or other products that we're having problems, you might want to look at using a polyamine or even one of our other um, blended film-forming amines in those applications. Next slide, please. So this is the trial that I was referring to. Um, this is Calpine's Pastoria site in uh, Lebec, California. It's, um, it's got two power blocks. Power block one is a standard two-by-one configuration, about 550 megawatts. Power block two is just a one-by uh, and com with a combined power generating capacity of about 800 megawatts. 
we did a study last fall, and as I mentioned before, the um, the chemical feed. This is the one I was telling you about, where the chemical feed was um, was interrupted. Um, so the data was collected using, as I mentioned before, the Century Corrosion Product Composite Sampler. This unit allows for much more accurate and low-level analysis for iron uh, because uh, corrosion is a really dynamic process, and it's difficult to get a representative sample by normal graph sampling. Uh, so an integrated sampler is required that uses, as I mentioned, the millipore filters that collect a continuous sample over a period of time. Then, as I said, these corrosion products are captured on the filters and then accurately measured in very, very low PPB uh, units. The data that's shown there, you can't even really see it on the graph, but I've got the data if anybody's interested. It's actually in the notes section of this um, presentation. The, the, the iron values from this trial last fall were in the parts per trillion range. That's absolutely unheard of um, in the industry as far as uh, corrosion control. So really, really remarkable data there. We hope to replicate that again going forward after the plant outage. Next slide, please. These are just some other sites that are using uh, polyamine. There's, uh, there's one in um, uh, Terrace Bay that's up in Canada. There's a um, uh, it's a petrochemical plant or chemical plant in Egypt that's been using it. And there are case histories, at least one case history uh, from a pulp and paper plant that's uh, in Acumen, and you can download that and, and review that. The prospects here, um, unfortunately, Guadalupe uh, has, has decided, even after they said we were going to have the business, they decided to stay with their incumbent, unfortunately, but we're still pursuing that opportunity. The Bosque Energy Center, however, um, has just begun a trial with polyamine. And then there's a, um, Edison Power in um, the UK, which is a, a current uh, opportunity for us uh, to have a site in the UK using polyamine technology. Uh, we'd be happy to have any other candidates. If anybody has an opportunity, we'd be happy to get involved with, um, with uh, trial data collection at any sites that you might have. Next slide, please. So, you know, what to look for, again, as I mentioned, plants with high alkalinity, low condensate return, pulp mill dryers, um, power plants with air-cooled condensers, cycling units, crud bursts. Um, again, uh, and we should avoid industrial applications that have had a history of very, very poor condensate control because when you start feeding this stuff, you're going to get a dramatic exfoliation of iron, and it's going it's to kind of bind up with the sticky... Um, film-forming compounds, and just make a real mess in the system. Again, we should also avoid overfeeding, as I mentioned before, to avoid excess sloughage and crud bursts and gunking. Uh, as, as I mentioned, we should begin at a uh, lower dosage in 150 to 2 ppb active range, uh, and then slowly increase it up to around 500 ppb active. If, you, if it's a system where the film formers have failed in the past, it's probably not going to be a good application for this film-forming technology. And we should also collect, as in any kind of trial, always try to collect baseline data so you have a, um, a reference point for um, comparison. Uh, obviously, value propositions are reduced crud versus iron throw, better surface passivation and hydrophobicity, which, as I mentioned before, leads to improved heat transfer efficiency, 
Overall system-wide improved corrosion control, as we just saw on um, the previous case history. Uh, enhanced offline corrosion protection and metal passivation. And again, you know, air-cooled condensers, they have huge amounts of surface area, and we can oftentimes uh, improve efficiency in those as well. Next slide, please. So um, if you have corrosion in a system, obviously we know that corrosion creates deposits, which can lead to um, a reduction in heat transfer, but moreover can lead to under-deposit corrosion and failures. In fact, iron deposition in boilers usually doesn't result in a, uh, a tube overheat. The, fa the failure mechanism is usually due to a corrosion mechanism associated with uh, under-deposit corrosion, such as caustic gouging or acid phosphate attack. They do form, as I mentioned, a hydrophobic film, which uh, leads to hydrophobicity and provides uh, a non-wettable surface that protects against corrosive species such as carbonic acid and, and oxygen. They can provide equivalent, if not improved, corrosion protection compared to molybdate or nitrate in closed systems. And they should always be recommended if you've got a system with an air-cooled condenser. Um, and in general, um, boiler layup, I mean, that's, that's something, as I mentioned before, that the, the jury is still kind of out on that. We do need to be a little bit cautious about making a recommendation that this is going to be, a, you know, the, the next best thing since sliced bread to be used for layup of systems. So that, that summarizes and completes the formal part of this presentation. Uh, I'll certainly open it up to any questions or comments that anybody might have. Questions or comments? Anyone? Yeah, Kai, this is Rick Bohannon. Uh, you kind of hinted at it, but I didn't hear a, a, a pH control range on the condensate. I know in the past we always worried about uh, high pH and, you know, feeding neutralizing amine, and we used to say stripping the thymine amine. Is that something that we're still concerned about? And, you know, because I've seen us take the you know, obviously, economically, we're, we, we, if we can lower the um, pH to like eight and a half and get the same corrosion protection with a filmer, we can usually be more competitive. Understand that, but is there a harm if we run in nine nine one pH in a condensate system? Uh, or, or? No, that's 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 a good question. Um, like you said, economically, you can lower it in industrial applications. You know, even as low as I've seen, I've seen film forming compounds used in systems as low as like pH of six, and still had good results. Um, to, but to answer your question, there's a couple aspects to that. First of all, in the power plant sector, we're controlling the pH of the feed water and the condensate at nine four to nine eight, and that's right. because these are all ferrous metal component systems. Obviously, in in any systems that contain copper, we wouldn't want to go above nine two. So um, that's a good question, but um, no, uh, it can be used uh, across a very, very wide pH spectrum, and that's a that's a good question. Thank you, Rick. Thanks, Kai. Yeah, Kai, that's a, that's. I'm sorry. Can you hear me, all right? Yeah, that's a little I can bit hear you now. That's the difference between the polyamine and the ODA. The ODA is a six five seven five. Um, type of pH range because you'll get a carbonate salt. 
um, when you start going too high. But the polyamine is a lot more tolerant to the higher end of the range. So that's an advantage. Right. Did you have a question? Not really. Okay. Thank you. Anyone else? Yeah, this is Mike Carreswell. Is there any condensate treatment that is non-amine? I have a customer, a chloralkali customer who... Uh, yep, hang on a second. Hang on a second. I'm going to write your name down. Mike Cresswell, I'll send you a presentation. I just sent it to other people. Yeah, it's called okay. Amercor NF. It stands for non-amine filmer. We've got case histories. Um, there's a fact sheet. And I just sent it out to, like, two other people. So I'm just going to forward okay. that to you um, from where I sent it before, and uh, it's got a it's got a PowerPoint presentation in there. There's a fact sheet. Uh, I'm not sure there's a data sheet in there or not, but um, yes, it's called uh, Amercor NAF, and it's non-nitrogen, non-amine, and it's acceptable in the food industry as well. Kai, awesome. yeah, Kai, can you put me back to me? I inherited an account. Actually, Kai, why don't you forward that to me, and I will post it um, on the Boiler site as information that everybody can access. They can access it through Acumen, but I'd be happy to send yeah, it to you. Yeah, I'll sure. put the links on there to whatever you're sending, and I'll, I'll send the entire um, email list or invite list the information. Okay, sure. Thanks, Joe. All right. Well, I want to thank everybody for taking the time to attend. And uh, if you need anything from myself or anybody else in the boiler application team, please get in touch with us. We'd be glad to help out in any of these opportunities. Thank you for attending the Boiler Podcast. We hope that you found the information useful. Please be sure to check the technical training site within IWT for any other resources and information you may need.